Mark 13, verses 1 through 37. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such a tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. For for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For, faith, for false Christ and, pro and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out the leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he comes suddenly and finds you asleep. 
And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Father, I thank you today for your grace. I just, uh, I can't get that picture out of my mind of running into your embrace. God, that's what we want to do as we continue to worship you this morning. Now, thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, how I pray that you'll help us to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Take us, God, to your open arms as we continue to worship now in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open your Bible with me to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. We are at a very exciting time in history. We're at a very exciting time in our journey through the book of Mark. And so we look forward to what God is going to teach us as we share His Word together this morning. Warnings are very important. Um, They're designed to prepare you and prepare me for potential danger. When we lived in Texas, uh, they had these sirens in most of the communities where we lived. And when when the siren would go off, it would sound across the whole community. And it was a warning that tornadoes had been spotted and they were headed our way. Uh, Some warnings come to us through lights, like traffic signal lights. Imagine this weekend, with all that's going on around our community on this Memorial Day weekend... Uh, imagine trying to drive around here without any stop signs or any traffic lights. I mean, it would be a total disaster, wouldn't it? Uh, some warnings come to us again through different forms of nature. When you see heavy winds or you hear uh, thunder, you are ready for the clouds to roll in and the, the heavy rain to uh, maybe begin. When Jesus called his disciples, he, he met them where they are. And he said to them, follow me. I hope you're aware that Jesus is still calling disciples to follow him today. And I trust that you are on the journey to being in that band. I trust that you are a part of what the disciples heard as they heard Jesus say, follow me, and they left everything that they knew about their past. They left everything that their family had maybe poured into their minds that they were going to accomplish, that they were going to be. They left everything behind and totally were willing to sell out to make a life commitment to following Jesus. When they heard him say, come and follow me, these fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and models of what the families had taught them to be took a transition in life. They totally changed and they said, okay, wherever you lead, Jesus, we're going to follow. In Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 37, we're at the last two days before Jesus was to go through the grueling aspects of the cross and the resurrection. He wanted his disciples to be prepared. He wanted them to be ready. I might have titled this message today, A Wake-Up Call. 
Because that's what Jesus was giving to his disciples. He was giving them a wake-up call. In 1988-1989, my ministry track carried me to a lot of cities around this country uh, doing training events and preaching. I had assignments at Ridgecrest Conference Center uh, in North Carolina. I had assignments in Texas, uh, Dallas, Texas, San Francisco, California. Sometimes Gail would go with me. Sometimes... I would go alone. She was not able to go with me. The last part of that journey, that track, that two-year track that I was on, carried me to Atlanta, Georgia. And before going to Atlanta in September of 1989, a great friend of mine called me and said, Ronnie, are you ready to go? I thought that was a strange question. Am I ready to go? (laughs) I confidently said, yes, sir, I have my projector, overhead projector cells prepared. <laughs> I have my, some of you don't know what that is, uh, overhead projector, but we used to have to put, you know, anyway, uh, had those prepared, had my outlines ready, had my sermon notes in order, and um, had the evangelistic uh, brochures that I was going to be passing out ready to be uh, distributed. Uh, he said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, are you ready for the storm? Now, I had a dog and a nine-month-old baby girl and, of course, a wife. I said, what storm? He said, a hurricane blasted this past week through the Bahamas, and they say that it's heading our way. Now, I grew up on the Gulf Coast, and so I had seen scores and scores of storms come. I'd spent a number of years here on the beach. I'd seen uh, storms come. Most of the time, I knew that where they predicted them to hit, they never hit there. And so, you know, I, I sort of half-heartedly said, okay, well, um, I called another friend who happened to be a retired Marine colonel. And I said, if this storm hits, after I get on the airplane and fly away, I said, if this storm hits, will you take care of my dog and my nine-month-old baby and my wife? Well, that turned out to be an awesome decision to follow the warning sign of my friend. Now today's scripture takes us to four warning areas that we need to be ready today for those here who are followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know that there's ever been a day where there was a need for a wake-up call like God's Word is going to take us to today. I'm excited about this passage. I'm excited about digging into what God said to his disciples two days before he went through the greatest tribulation of history. And I can't wait to see what God is going to imply to you and me based on this scripture text. So let's Let's dig into these four warning areas. The first question is this. Are you ready to talk about priority things? We see that in verse 1. As he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, the reference there was to Herod's temple. Herod's temple was a marvelous structure. Herod the Great began building this temple structure in 20 B.C. And the construction of this temple continued until 64 B.C. It was a massive structure. It was 
tremendously magnificent. Historian Josephus recorded that some of these stones, listen to this now, if you picture in respect to this building, some of the stones in this temple structure were 60 feet long, 11 feet high, 8 feet in depth, and weighed over a million pounds. Now this was in the first century. Imagine how all that structure was put together. And these stones wasn't just one or two. I mean, they were stacked one on the other. I mean, it looked like with a marble white structure that these stones were made of. It, it looked like a, a, a marble miracle that was just kind of covered in pure gold. And if you walk out of the temple area onto the Mount of Olives and look back on that temple structure, I mean, it was jaw-dropping. It was fascinating. And that's what these disciples of Jesus were focused on. Now, over their lifetime, they had seen this structure numbers of times. I mean, three times a year, every Jewish person had to go to Jerusalem for a festival celebration. Uh, this was not something they had seen for the first time. But it drew their attention because their focus was on worldly things and Jesus turned the conversation to relevant, spiritual, eternal things. Now, I just have to stop and pause here for a moment. Because I wonder how many of us are so focused on worldly things today that we are missing the priority things, the significant things of life the eternal things that God is trying to teach us and show us. Jesus knew what was really important, so he turned the conversation totally to priority matters. Jesus knew that within a generation, this temple structure that they were so drawn to was going to be turned to nothing. Totally destroyed. In fact, he had warned his disciples already, tear this temple down, in three days it will be built up again. Jesus had continued to warn his disciples about focusing on priority things rather than focusing on the things of this world. Once again, I just, I wonder what we are focused on in our lives today. Are we talking about earthly things? Oh, the weather outside's cold today. <laughs> the weather outside's... I mean, we're so focused on the temporary when God might be opening up the door for us to focus on the important. So Jesus shocked his disciples in verses 2 through 4 with a statement. Jesus said to them, here's a good question. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So this statement from Jesus was a very prophetic statement. It raised a question in the minds of his disciples. Look at verse 3. He sat on, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to be accomplished? So they asked Jesus questions, and it's okay to ask Jesus questions. In fact, it's good to ask Jesus questions, but 
Just like Jesus taught these disciples, when you ask him questions, you need to be ready for real answers. In fact, you might need to be ready for hard answers. They're not to put you down, they're for your good, and for the, the, they're for the good of everybody else. And so, be honest. Be ready for Jesus to be honest uh, when you ask Him questions. These closest followers open the door for these profound statements that Jesus was to make. When will these things be, and what will be the sign? So what kind of observations and questions are you hearing today? Uh, I know that everybody here, and I'm even reluctant to use this example, but I have to. Everybody here is tired of hearing about COVID-19. We're tired of hearing about the pandemic. We're tired about hearing about wearing masks, aren't we? I mean, we're tired of it. But what if every time somebody made a statement about the pandemic or about masks, what if we said, are you ready to meet the master? Are you ready to meet your creator? Are you ready to stand before God? Do you see how we have opportunities today to turn conversations to spiritual things and priority things rather than talk about the trivial things that come at us in our day-to-day -day life? What happens to our best friend when they die? I mean, after the first service today, somebody asked me, you know, what happens to my friend who died? You know, what a great opportunity to talk about priority things, to talk about eternity. That's what Jesus did. He turned the conversation to priority things. So let me ask you again. Are you ready to talk about priority things. Secondly, we see a shift here in verse 5 through 13. Jesus raises another question. Are you ready to share the gospel? Are you ready to share the good news? Verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. See that no one leads you astray. In other words, your mind can be on gospel truth. Your mind can be on the things of, of, of God. But people want to talk about everything else in the world and talk about gospel truth. So be ready. Jesus began to say, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. Now remember the question. The question that the disciples asked was, what will be the sign that these things will happen, and when will they occur? And so Jesus again was answering their questions. And guess what? These disciples of Jesus saw every single one of these prophecies of Jesus come to pass in their lifetime. And that's true of all prophecy. When, when the Old Testament prophets prophesied, they were prophesying to the people that 
who were listening to them at that particular day, but they also had a message for the future. And that's what's happening here. Jesus was talking to his disciples. And by the time of the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, every one of these prophecies came true in the life of these disciples. Every single one of them. There were false prophets on the earth who were prophesying. There were wars and rumors of wars. There were earthquakes that took place. That was a sign of their time. But it's also a prophecy for us to be ready. A wake-up call for us when we see these things happen. And you know what's going on in our world today. All signs pointed to be on guard. That's the point. Jesus was saying, be ready. It's a wake-up call. Be ready to talk about priority things. And so I ask you today, are you ready? Are you ready to listen to what Jesus is answering to our questions that we are asking, that people around us are asking? Verse 9, he says, be on your guard. That's a military term. Just be ready for battle. Be ready to fight in the war. It's coming against us. You have enemies who are out to destroy you in your Christian faith, in your walk with Christ. Be on guard for they, the enemies, those who would lead you astray, they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Does that sound familiar? How many of you have ever read the book of Acts? If you read the book of Acts, you'll see that every single one of these prophecies of Jesus came true in the generation that Jesus was talking to immediately. When they bring, verse 11, you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious before, beforehand what you ought to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. The witness of the gospel went out to every tribe, every tongue, every language that was gathered there in Jerusalem. And those people went back to their home, hometowns sharing the gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 12, brother will, deli will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If you look at the book of Hebrews, for example, You'll find in the book of Hebrews that there were those who deserted the faith. They claimed to walk with Jesus when they thought it was a popular thing to do. But when the pressure was put on, they turned away from Jesus. You've heard me repeat Herschel Hobbes here before. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. And that's what happened to these first century believers. Who claimed to be believers but were not really believers. The warning was given to be faithful, to endure to the end. The New Testament book of Jude challenges believers to be ready. False prophets, many who would try to change the truth to fit the culture of the day, will woo those away who are not solid in faith. Now that was true in the first century. 
That's why the book of Jude was written. But it couldn't be any truer in our generation today, in our day today. However, there was a roll call of faith. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Many were faithful to the end in the first century. That's why you have the gospel today. So what about you? We live in this same crazy world that the first century was. Everything from religion to politics seemed to be driving wedges between nations and neighbors and families. And it, it's going to get worse before it gets better until Jesus comes back again. So are you ready? Are you ready to focus on priority things? Are you ready to share gospel truth? Sharing gospel truth with compassion and with passion is our commission from Jesus today. Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 clearly gives our commission to be faithful, to share the gospel at home and around the world. And so I challenge you today to join me in accepting his forgiveness and be realistic about the fact that God loves us, but a part of his love is commissioning believers to share gospel truth on his behalf. Jesus loves all the people of the world, and every man, woman, and child deserves the right to at least hear the gospel. And some of the gospel to some people can best be delivered by you and me. So we can live in peace in this unpeaceful, chaotic world only when the peace of Christ dwells in us and gives marching orders to our life, when He is the priority of our life. And that's what it takes to endure to the end. It's knowing Jesus and living life in step with Him and saying to the world, if you want to know what a true believer looks like, Look at Christ living out his life through me. That's what it means. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Our convention, the South Carolina Baptist Convention, has a strategy. Strategy starts with a healthy church, and I pray that we will become a healthy church at Palmetto Shores. A healthy church is a church that knows Jesus and makes all of life about Jesus, lives in the truth of God's word, prays in faith, fellowships with believers and witnesses to the world. That's a healthy church. The strategy starts there and then moves toward serving our community and sharing while serving and sending missionaries out to serve around the world and starting new churches that can produce the same kind of DNA that's a part of the life of a healthy church. To share gospel truth means that we are on guard. We're ready to face the battle that comes against us. And I'm going to talk about some of those battles here in just a few minutes. But being misunderstood, 
being hated for the sake of the gospel while being strong and serving and sharing and sending and starting new churches prepares us to get ready to share gospel truth. It's a privilege to know gospel truth. It's a responsibility that we have to share gospel truth. So are you ready? Are you ready to share gospel truth? There's a third question that this passage raises. Are you ready to reject false gods? We see that beginning with verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now the abomination of desolation is a big phrase. Daniel used it in his prophecy. The Apocrypha is filled with uh, references to the abomination of desolation. You know what desolation is. It's kind of like having a Memorial Day weekend that's set aside to give honor to those who have in the military given their lives for our freedom and just totally desecrating that. You know what that feels like, don't you? That's what was happening. Jesus predicted what happened with the temple structure. Verse 15, let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, who chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here comes the Christ. Or look, there he is. Do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. So let's talk for just a minute about the abomination of desolation. In, in Jesus' day, uh, Roman rulers many times would set themselves up to be God. They claimed to be God. The Caesars, for example, claimed that they were God. They wanted the authority that came with being God. They wanted the power that came, power to control being God. And so on their coins and throughout the lands that they ruled, they put themselves up as God. Bad move. <laughs> really bad move. Um, in the first century and prior to the first century, there were many temple abominations. Uh, Jewish history records a number of these abominations. None of the abominators ended well. They all went down hard. I'll give you an example in 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes sacrifice pigs on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. 
And that set into motion what we know today historically as the Maccabean Wars. It did not end well for Epiphanes. Now in our modern world today, when's the last time you heard somebody claim to be God? I mean, people don't claim to be God in our modern day, do they? But do we? Do we? The struggle for who we're going to worship and what we're going to worship and the worship of false gods is just as real today as it's ever been. Maybe not in the form of wooden idols and stone statues, but we have our idols, we have our gods, don't we? And there's a heads up, there's a wake-up call here. Two things jump out at me in this passage. Number one, God's judgment on those who worship false gods is harsh. The first commandment speaks to this. You shall have no other gods before me. Now that wasn't done for man's detriment. That, that law wasn't created for man's detriment. It was created for our good, for our benefit. The closer we get to God and the more we worship God, the better life is going to be, both now and eternally. The second thing that jumps out to me in this passage is that people are gullible to follow false False gods. I don't know why that's all. I mean, why are we so quick to make things and people lord over the true and living God, even in our generation today? I don't know why, that, why that's true. But you know it's true, and I know it's true. The only way to restore broken relationship with God that is created by our sin is to come to the true and living God and accept his gift of salvation, Jesus, repent of our sin and turn away from our sin and turn to God and say, God, I truly want my life to count for you. I want the rest of my life that I have to be a billboard for your grace and your mercy that you've worked in my life by setting me free from the penalty of my sin. Unfortunately, our generation has fallen deep into the trap of replacing God's truth with human intelligence, replacing God's truth with our ideas and our comfort and human wisdom. But it hasn't worked in the past and it won't work in the future. And it's not working today. God's way, worshiping God as the true and living God and honoring Him and respecting Him and putting Jesus first in our life is the best way for us to live. Culture has once again fallen into this trap of elevating our way over God's best. Changing truth to fit our desires and our culture has placed man's ideas and placed even man over God. For example, and I could give you hundreds of examples, but let me just give you one or two. God created marriage to be a relationship between one man and one woman for one lifetime. That's what's best for man and best for culture. 
What have we done in our culture today to say we have to accept everybody for what they think they want to be? That's ungodly. That's putting man's intellect and man's authority over the authority of Creator God Himself. God created men to be men. And He created women to be women. And for man to say, we're smart enough to where we can change somebody to be whatever they feel like they want to be. How far from God's truth could that be? Now, when Jesus made these statements to his disciples, he was not trying to win friends and influence people. He was speaking the truth. And you and I today need to stand on the truth of God's word. One of the best things that happened in my life in 2020 during the pandemic, and we didn't know it was coming, but at the very first of that year, we started reading through God's word, every word of God's word. Several people went with me from Genesis to Revelation uh, as we read every single word of God's word. That is truth. God's word is truth. And man's way being put over God's way is idolatry. It's worshiping false gods. And today the very elect is in danger of being led astray. So let me ask you again. Are you ready to hear the warning? God said that your body as a believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. We read this a couple of weeks ago but in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. The Bible says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The mandate there is that God made you to be who you are. And your opportunity is to glorify Him through who He has made you to be. So are you ready to reject false gods? That's the question. The abomination of desolation on God's temple is happening right before our eyes today. The LGBTQ community it's saying, our idea is just as good as God's idea. In fact, it's better. You go our way because if you don't, we're going to torture you. We're going we're to persecute you. We're going to put you in jail. God's truth or worshiping false gods. Once again, I know this is, and, and my spirit here is not harsh. God loves all the people of the world. All the people of the world. But God hates sin in all the people of the world. That's you, that's me, that's everybody else. You'll be accused if you stand on the truth of God's word. Today, this is within the last 20 years, creating these terms. You'll be accused of hate speech. You'll be accused of not being politically correct. I would rather stand on the truth of God's word and go to jail 
than I would to go with the flow of culture and be popular in my generation today. And I trust that you would take the same stand. Finally this morning, are you ready for Judgment Day? Because everything in this passage leads toward the culmination here. Now we're going to break this down into three sections because I believe that there are three possible interpretations for this passage of Scripture and none of them are wrong. I think all three of them have valid merit. First of all, verse 23 says, Be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. So here's what some believe this interpretation is teaching. It's referring to the cross and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, verses 24 to 26 clearly talk about tribulation. Jesus faced the greatest tribulation that any person has ever faced. He was tortured from the day he spoke these words until he went back to heaven and ascended into heaven. Faithful followers of Jesus saw the tribulation of Jesus. They saw the sun darkened and the, the moon, uh, the, the Son of Man rise with clouds and power and glory. You know, 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, they saw him go back into heaven with power and glory. Isn't this a beautiful picture that Jesus is painting here? He was warning the disciples to be ready for his crucifixion. He was warning them to endure trials on earth. And then he gave them the promise that he was going back into heaven. And he gave us a promise that one day he's coming back again as well. So this could be referring to the cross and resurrection of Jesus. But we see a second interpretation beginning with verse 27. This is referring to the destruction of Jerusalem. Verse 27 says, Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, from the fig tree, learn this lesson. Now, he's given a picture here, an analogy, a picture image. Jesus was good at this. From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts on leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So first century believers were warned to be ready for persecution by Jesus. Now let's go back into history just a moment. Josephus was a historian, a notable historian in the first century. Josephus fought against the Roman invasion and was captured by Titus. When Titus captured Josephus, he realized his authority position and he used Josephus to be a liaison, a mediator between the Roman government and the Israelites. He was a negotiator, in other words. 
Josephus warned believers not to buck against the Roman government. They didn't listen. He knew that all resistors would be destroyed, wiped out, if they did not cooperate with the Roman government. He was exactly right. And so these words of Jesus came true in 70 A.D., that glorious temple that the disciples were standing outside on the Mount of Olives looking down on was totally flattened, totally destroyed, never to be built again. Because the temple of God today is in believers, you and me. You go to Jerusalem today, there is no temple structure. In fact, there's a Muslim mosque on the same spot as the Temple Mount. Talk about the desolation of destruction. The temple was totally wiped out by Titus. Daniel 9, 20 to 27 was fulfilled in this prophecy. The abomination of desolation was ultimately completed in 70 AD. But then there's a third and final interpretation of this section. And we see that beginning in verse 33. It's referring to the second coming of Jesus. And I love this. Be on guard. Keep awake. Okay, we got another wake-up call coming here. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. We have another analogy. A man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Jesus is coming again, just like he came the first time. He's coming again. He's coming this time as, as a warrior. He's coming to, to rule and to reign. When Jesus ascended after the resurrection, he told his disciples that he was coming back again. And we're in just a few minutes going to celebrate how Jesus told us to remember that, that he is coming back again. He's coming back in power and in glory and he's coming back to bring his church together to reign forever and ever and ever. We have beautiful pictures of this in the book of Revelation. But when Jesus left, he left a commission with you and me. He left a commission with his followers to be faithful, to share gospel truth, and to stand firm and be awake until the end. Don't get caught off guard. Of the three interpretations to the warning of Jesus. And we could spend months and even years breaking down all the aspects of this passage. But one thing stands out loud and clear. You can't miss it. Jesus warns us to be ready. To be ready. And I trust that you will join me today and take that warning very, very, very seriously. He's coming back. First Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, 
The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Who's going to be part of that number? Those who are ready. Those who are awake. Those who have come to Jesus and humbly said, Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and my sin has separated me from you. And I'm sorry. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. I turn to you. And I want to spend the rest of my life not only being ready, but helping other people come to know you and be ready as well. Friends, that's gospel truth. That's the challenge. That's the warning for us to be ready for judgment day because it's coming. One day you're going to stand before God. And He's going to say something like this. Why should I let you into my heaven? There's only one answer that's going to get you in the door. And that is, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. I'm nothing. He's everything. I'm here because of Jesus. To spend eternity worshiping Jesus. To God be the glory. God, thank you today that you have led us to a point in life where we are called to be ready, to be on guard. You've given us a wake-up call. Help us to be ready to talk about priority things. Help us to be ready to share gospel truth. Help us to be ready to put aside false gods and the things of this world that would call us away from you. And help us to be ready for Judgment Day by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to take your communion pack now, if you would. There should be one near your seat or in your seat. And I want to invite you to uh, take the bread out of the communion pack and hold it in your hand. And take the cup and hold it in your other hand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul gives us instructions for actually remembering what Jesus lived with his disciples just a few days after he shared this message with his disciples, his earthly disciples says, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you portray, you proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes back again.
Father, thank you that you have given us an opportunity to remember. Thank you for reminding us that remembering you by looking at this bread and realizing that you came to this earth and you lived a perfect life. You lived a life of total holiness and complete reverence to who you are. You never failed once. And because of that, we can put our trust in you. And then you went to the cross and you shed your blood to pay the price for the penalty of our sin. And so today, God, once again, like you've asked us to do, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember what you have done for us until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, once again, we can't help when we focus on the fact that you love us so much to come and be one of us and to die for us. We can't help but worship you. We can't help but celebrate. God, I pray that every person in this room would realize that it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to be serious and take advantage of opportunities to know you and love you and be loved by you and then also to share you with others. Thank you today for the blood of Jesus Christ that is our cornerstone in life. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that takes away our sin and gives us a foundation to stand on that cannot be moved throughout eternity. And because of that, we join our hearts together now and continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.